0: There's this story in Acts 20, um, and uh, uh, Paul is preaching, and he's about to leave the people he's preaching to, and so he just keeps preaching and preaching, because preaching he le- wants to leave them with as much as he can before he, he departs the town, and um, there's this young man, I think his name's Eutychus, was sitting in a window, and Paul just keeps going on and on and on, and the young man just falls into this sleep, and then a deep sleep, and he falls out of the window. <laughs> and he dies, right? And lately, I've been, um, there's just been a lot to say in the book of Colossians, and I feel like I just want to keep going on and on and on, and I have this fear that if I do that, somebody's going to fall out of a, proverbially, fall out of a window and, and die. Um, so I think if I preached like 10 minutes, somebody was inevitably going to fall asleep, or if I preached an hour, somebody's probably going to fall asleep. But So I'm trying to contain it, but there's just a lot, a lot in this book for us to cover, a lot of ground to cover, and Given that I'm not going to be able to cover every little nook and cranny of the book of Colossians, unfortunately, I, I really want to. So I'm trying to be prayerful and mindful as I prepare, but then also even as I'm preaching, uh, to hit on what the Lord really wants us to to hear as we're as we're walking through this this book. Um, so maybe um, as we start this morning, um, I can just pray for us. I got about 30, 35 minutes, 35 minutes, um, and we'll we'll see. We'll see where that that, that takes us. So, um, so Lord, um, we we uh, thank you this morning uh, for who you are, and we thank you for for what you do. We thank you for revealing yourself to us already, as we worship you. Um, thank you for the just the privilege um, to be able to come here, stand in your presence, and recognize you as our God and our King. And um, we uh, would humbly ask as we continue to move forward, Lord, as we get into your word and, and look at Colossians, that you would help us to focus, um, to stay alert, um, and to to not just have physical eyes to see or physical ears to hear, but that you would open our spiritual eyes and ears so that we could hear from you, from your Holy Spirit. And um, in our community group this week, one person just just made the comment, Lord, that they just want more of your Holy Spirit, want to know more about your Holy Spirit. Just and I, I just um I'm so thankful for that. That's just resonated with me this whole week. And I that's my prayer for us this morning is that we just desire you more. And um and that you would just flood us today so that, that we could know you better and be able to serve you more fully. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um So yeah, like if you haven't gotten into a community group yet, you you are like ah I should have done that or I should be doing that but I haven't. It's not too late. You can still get in. We'd love to have you. You can see me. You can see Scott, that guy walking right back there. He's not like I don't think I don't know where he's going, but uh, that's uh and he's he's our deacon like and he's leaving the service. So I'm not sure what that says. Uh, I hope that that's not a tone we're setting for the rest of the morning. Uh, But um but we would love to have you. We would desperately love to have you for that. Um, I think that you're, you'll experience some life there and encouragement. So, um, but in Matthew chapter 16, we're going we're to get to Colossians here in just a moment. We're going to still be in chapter 1. But in Matthew chapter 16, um, there's this, this account of, of Jesus. And in the earlier part of the chapter, some religious leaders come to him and ask him for a sign to prove who he's claiming he is. And they kind of want a miracle of some sort. And, um, and then, and Jesus basically says, you know, even if you had the sign, you're not going to believe. That's kind of what he gets into. And then he goes on to tell the disciples, uh, just following that in chapter 16, towards the middle kind of portion of chapter 16, I think, um, that they need to be careful who they listen to. That they can't trust these religious leaders, um, and that they, they really have to be very careful, um, in interpreting who Jesus is and, and listening to, to certain people who say who Jesus is and who will tell them about who Jesus is. And then, towards the latter part of the chapter, Jesus looks at them and point blank asks them. He, sa- he says, who do people say that I am? And in, in Matthew 16, he says, who, who do people say that the Son of Man is? But if you look at it in, in like Mark, he says, who, who, do, who do other people say that I am? He's talking about himself. Who, who, are, they, who are they saying that I am? And they go on and they say, well, Elijah or John the Baptist, a couple of others. And then he says, this, this really has always got me. He, he, he looks at them and he draws it really close to home and he, and he says, okay, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Everybody else, they can have their own opinions. but What really matters is what you think. And um, That is um, an important, that was an important question for the disciples, but that's an important question for you. That's an important question for me. Because a lot of people, just like during the time of the disciples, first century, like a lot of people were saying a lot of different things about what Jesus is or who Jesus was, right? And... and, uh, Everybody outside the church, you hear them talking about what, Basically, what Jesus is saying is, don't believe them. They're wrong. They're wrong. And it still holds true today. They're wrong. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter so much about what they're saying. What matters is what you believe. And um, that is precisely what Paul is getting at in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, what we're going to talk about today. It's like, who did the Colossians believe Jesus to be? Who were they gonna believe? And and Paul says, there's a lot of different people telling you a lot of different things about who Jesus is, but here's who who he actually is. And and he lays out for the Colossians in these verses that we're gonna look at today who Jesus is. Not who he was, not who he's going to be, but who he is. And um he, he, he is the same today as he was yesterday and as he will be in the future. And, 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 and Paul is basically challenging him and is say, is saying, do you believe this? Is this who you believe Jesus is? Because this is, this is it. And, the, and that question, that challenge that Jesus put to his disciples in Matthew 16 is the one that we have to wrestle with as well. Nobody else can wrestle with that for you. Nobody can make that decision for you. It's all in your court. All in your court. And so why don't we do this? Let's read what Paul has to say about Jesus, uh, how, how he defines Jesus, who, who he describes him to be, and then um, we're going to take some time and try to, to flesh out um, who, who he is, who Paul, Paul says he is. This is chapter 1 of, of the book of Colossians, um, starting in verse 15. If you have this Bible, it's page 1815. Most of you do not, so you'll have to find that. But if you're having trouble finding Colossians, seriously, go to the front of your Bible. There's a table of contents there, and it will tell you the page that you can find it on. Don't feel like that's a bad thing to do. That's perfectly fine. If you don't know where it is, just look it up. That's okay. Um, It's pretty far back there. But this this is what God has to say to us through Paul. And speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and and in him all things hold together. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight. Just wrap your minds around that. To present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm, not moved, from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that you proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. It's been said that the most dangerous aspect of the Colossian heresy, of this false teaching that was brought into their church, was its depreciation of the person of Jesus Christ. To the heiress of Colossae, Christ was it was said it has been said Christ was not the triumphant redeemer to whom all authority in heaven and on earth had been committed at best he was only one of many spirit beings who bridged the space between God and men and what Paul is trying to say in these verses is that is completely false Jesus is everything he is most important in verses 15 to 18, he begins by making three statements about Christ that seem to address the heresy that had come into this church, this false teaching that had come into the, the church at Colossae. I want to deal with each one of them briefly, because I think they're foundational to our understanding of what's going on there and our understanding of Christ. Um, and they deal with, with his deity, with his, his relationship to creation, and his relationship to the church. So, in verse 15a, Paul writes, he is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. That word image that that Paul uses there is the Greek word icon. And that's kind of, our word icon, like in the English, comes from that Greek word. And you think of an icon, it's something that represents something else. Like an icon on your computer. I guess, I don't even know if we call those that anymore. Or not, but, but you kind of, you can click on things and that, it represents like a program that's behind it. Like, and and, and that's, that's kind of what he's, he's getting at here. It, it expresses the sentiment of or the likeness of something and it's its manifestation. It's its manifestation. I guess in, in regards to Christ specifically, it speaks to his likeness in regard to character, not so much like his physical appearance. And when we see his character, Christ's character, when we see his person, we see God. We see God. Just as a mirror reflects the image of the one who looks into it, so Christ reflects the image of God, the icon of God. Jesus manifests God's presence, character, and personhood. And that's important. That's important. Manifestation refers to like kind of a an apparent or tangible physicality of an otherwise real but untouchable thing. A truth or a condition or a person even. You might say I have a cold. Uh, so I, I woke up this morning and I didn't feel so great. like I wasn't breathing well. like my mouth, you ever wake up when you have a cold, and your mouth is just dry, your throat's dry because you're breathing through your mouth rather than through your nose. And it's like really uncomfortable. And so I woke up like five times last night and I had it until I realized what was going on. I have a cold. But you might say you have a cold. I might say I have a cold, but you're like, well you don't you don't have a cold. And you might say that because right now my nose isn't running, thankfully. Uh, I'm not sneezing, thankfully, right? I have some energy, thankfully. But a cold, you know somebody really has a cold when it manifests itself with those conditions. That's how you know of the cold. You, you see the physical manifestation of what's actually going on inside of the person. And similarly, God is real. He exists. Like He is, he is just as real as you and I. Yet somewhat unknowable. But Jesus is the manifestation. He's the icon of God. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. And um, he, uh, I think, it, he he is not just a body, and he is not just a person. When we talk about manifestation, he is God. And that's really important to clarify because if he weren't, he would be just like us. He's, he is like us, but he's at the same time altogether different because he is God. And I, I say is because Jesus is. He was, it's not that he was, just he, he was, he will be, but he is because he's God. And so we've got to remember that he, he is this icon, this manifestation of God. He, he is the reality of God. He is God. And when we see him, that's who the Father is. That's who God is. The second statement about Christ concerns his relationship to creation. So the first one was his relationship to deity. He is God. He's the image, the icon of God. And, and, but then Paul also talks about his, his relationship to creation when defining who who Christ is. And and, and he specifically does this in verses 15b through 17. And he has these three kind of ways to describe him. He says that, um, uh, talks about being in him, creation is in him, through him, and for him. In him, through him, and for him. And in him um, begins in um, verse 16 And it says, in in the NIV, it says, for by him. But actually, uh, the better translation of that is, for in him, in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or all things, they were created in him. Some of this, I'm going to confess we, we can't possibly wrap our minds around. Um, but if we could in a small way kind of think about this, I, this is a very poor illustration, but when a husband and wife become pregnant inside of her, something is created that is distinct, that is its own being, it is holy, but it is created in her. And somehow, in some way, Inside of Christ, we were cre- we were created in Christ, and that is just a beautiful thing. And then he but he goes on; he doesn't stop there. He said, and "We're different, we're distinct, we're nourished by Him, like kind of like." But but we are we're created in Him. But then he says we are also created through Him in verse sixteen, and, and that that is in in sixteen b where it says um, powers of thorns, and then all things were created. Through him, the NIV says by again, but the better translation of that is through him. And I don't, this is, there's probably like a thousand better ways of describing this. Um, The one I landed on, is we were created through him. Like he he did it, it was like, um, it's almost like, I don't even know if I want to use this because I'm not sure. Uh, this is the best way, but uh, God has created the world, but he created it through Christ, using Christ, like Christ did it, Christ is God, it's like we can't wrap our minds around all this stuff, but like a doctor heals somebody through surgery, but he uses instruments to do it, like, the, or he uses his hands to do it, his body to do it, his mind, like it's like, it's, it's somehow created through him, and then he goes on, I'm not going to camp out because, and then he goes on and he says this is the one I really want to camp out on, he says in verse 16c and he And he created it for him. This is the one I really want to camp out on. The other two are really hard to wrap our minds around. This one, I think we can get a little bit better. And and this is the real kicker uh, for us. Um, This is the one that really gets me. Um, It's the one that really challenges our pride. You weren't created for you. But that's how we live. Like, almost all of my life is lived for me. We go to work. We, we have children. Why why are you having a child? Well, we just love each other so much, you know. Um, we, we, we even love each other. Like, uh, we love each other so much, we wanted to create something new, uh, you know. Or. Uh, we go to work and we work. Well, why, why are you going to work? Well, I'm going to work so I can make money. Well, why are you making money? So I can buy a house or so I can have a car, so I can put food on my uh, my family's table. Like, most of the things that we do, why, why are you going to the football game? I'm going to the football game because I, I enjoy football. Why are you going to the hockey game? Same reason. Why Why are you playing sports? Why are you doing, uh, maybe not homework. Why are you doing homework? Because my parents and teacher make me do it. <laughs> right? So, um but almost all the things that we do are for us, but what, what Paul is telling the Colossians, and by extension us today in 21st century America, is that we were not created for us. We were created for God. We were created for Christ. We were cr- Everything was created for his enjoyment. Now, if we are created for his enjoyment, um, <laughs> but we're living for ourselves, that is completely backwards. That is completely backwards. And what ends up happening is that when we live for ourselves in our own enjoyment, we are never satisfied. You buy a car and you enjoy that car for just a little bit, and then all of a sudden you see the new model year roll out, and it has all these features that yours doesn't have, and you're like, ah, oh, I like this one, but man, if I just waited a little, little bit longer, I could have had that one, and it's not enough. You have a nice dinner, you you know, and it's, it's wonderful. You go to a restaurant, you have a nice dinner, and then you find, and, and you just really enjoy it until you find out, oh, there's an even nicer restaurant down the street could have had that one. Now I'm going to work a little bit harder so I can save up a little bit more money to go to that one next time. And it's like it's just never enough. Never enough. We we can, as much as w- enjoyment as we consume, we always want more. And um, it's because we have life backwards. We were not created for our enjoyment. We were created for his enjoyment. And if we could, this is what we were talking about earlier in the service, if we could Live for Him, get Him first. Our enjoyment would be caught up in His enjoyment of us. It's I, it. It seems really weird, but it's it's just it's so true, and it's it's borne out throughout the scriptures. Um, but like, <laughs> God just enjoys. <laughs> we are created so when we live for Him, He enjoys that, and He we are able to somehow like enjoy he he loves when we enjoy things so he gives us things that we enjoy and it's like the secular pattern that that goes but when we start doing it for us we throw a wrench into it and it all gets off kilter and breaks but when we're seeking his good he is seeking ours and it's like this thing that just flows it just flows and um The beautiful thing is, if we get off of that, God desperately wants to get us back into that pattern. Like, it's not like we're a lost cause. I I love that story of the prodigal son, right? The son comes and asks, He doesn't look for the father's enjoyment of him. He's only looking for his enjoyment of what he can have. And so he gets his inheritance early. He goes and he squanders it, wastes every bit of the money, is eating the pods that were given to the pigs, like the pig slop. And it's just horrible. And he thinks to himself, if I just go back to my father, I can be a hired hand, like basically a slave even, and it will be better than being here. And so he, he gets himself up. He crawls back to his father. And what does that scripture say? While he was still a long way off. The father sees him coming and goes to him. What that son has, had realized, I think, in part, is that his enjoyment was kind of caught up in, in the father's of him, and he went back to his father. And, and, and the father recognized that, and then the whole system started happening again. We must, we must be careful to make sure that we are living in such a way that we are recognizing we were created for him and not for us. So he goes on, man, I'm burning a lot of time, uh, verses 17, um, um, verse 17, uh, and he, he says, um, says this, he says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Um, Jesus is pre-existent. He is outside, like, he, he entered into time and space, but at the same time, he is outside of that. Like, he existed before any of this existed. He wasn't just born in Bethlehem as a baby, and all of a sudden, he was just created. He wasn't, like, that's not how it works. He, he has always been, always been, because he is God. And because of that, he is the force that holds everything together. Anybody ever? (laughs) I I sometimes feel like our family just about falls apart because I can't hold everything together. Does anybody ever feel that way? Like there's kids going here or there, you got to get meals on the table, you got to do things for work, and there's just so much going on, and it just all seems to occasionally start to spin out of control. And it's like, I can't. Like, Jesus is the force that holds everything together in this world. It's not gravity. Um, it's not any other law of science. Like, he created those and maintains this thing this that we call existence. And um, that is incredibly encouraging in part, I think, um, because sometimes it feels like he's not in control. Um, it sometimes feels like our world is spitting Anybody ever look at the news and just think, what is happening to our world? And, and we think today, oh, it's so much worse than it used to be. I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's always been spin, like, feel, like it's it's always felt like you think like during like World War II, like people didn't think like that. Like that was pretty bad compared to what is now. Like, if you really think about it, like, I don't think it's really worse today. I think it's always been really bad. And um, I look at that sometimes I just think, oh my goodness, this is just, it's just like, it's just going, I can't say some of the words that you think. some I know you would all think these words, but like, it's going places. And um, the truth of the matter is, God is in control. We were talking about this in our Bible study with the youth this morning, right? Like, Joseph uh, gets... Uh, thrown into prison. He, well, first of all, he's made into a slave by his brothers. Then he rises up into this Potiphar's household. Then he gets accused of adultery, he gets thrown into prison, and it just keeps looking like God is not in control. Not God is not in control. Everything is just going crazy. But God is always in control of that situation. Like when Satan thinks he has something going, like God's like, no, no, no. I was just using you to get done what I wanted done. Jesus is the one that holds everything together. Because of that, we never have to fear, even when things look incredibly bleak. Finally, he he speaks to Jesus' relation to the church in verse 18. And um, he says, in regard to the church, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The he in that, I think in the original language, is like emphatic. Like, could read it like this. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So then everything, he might have the supremacy. whole idea with that is that it is Christ that is most important. He is the head. He has the supremacy. He is first in all things. He is the ruler of our church. He's the head of our body. You know, Paul in in 1 Corinthians 12 describes the church as the body of Christ. And like Christ is now the head, Paul says, on this body. We each have a part to play, but we are not in charge of the body. Christ is in charge of the body. Christ is the head of the body. And um, I am not the head of the body, by the way. something we were talking about in a men's group yesterday, uh, in Breakfast, uh, was just about... Um, how, sorry, it's really distracting when your kids leave the service. Uh, 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 but we were, we were talking about how Christ is the head of the body, not the pastor, but how oftentimes we make the, we pretend or, or make the pastor out to be like the head of everything, like in charge of everything, when really he plays one, or he plays one role in the life of the church. I am not enough for this church, for our congregation or the church in general. Christ is the head. I play a part. You also play parts. And if you're not playing your part, the body is suffering. And if Christ is the head, meaning he is in charge, it means you are being rebellious to the one in charge. You are disobeying him. If you are not exercising your responsibility in the body of Christ, and I will s- say this, and this is there, this is there's no condemnation. There's from me, this like this is all the word, but like coming here on Sunday mornings is not playing your part, like your whole part. That's part of your part. See how many times I can use part. Uh, it's part of it, but it is not all of it. And if we are not really expressing all that God has made us to be, the body is suffering. And if this body is suffering, here's the other thing, the greater body of Christ is suffering. And if the body of Christ is suffering, it means we're not operating at full capacity, which means there are men and women and children out there who do not yet know Jesus, who are missing out it just can't be enough for us. you have got to be more important than that. You are more important than that. And um, we just, it can't be enough for us to just be here. Like, we, we have to be involved. We have to participate. We have to use the gifts God has given us. So if you have got the gift of preaching, I want you to preach. I don't want to be the only one preaching. I'll, I'll carry the brunt of it, but I, I would love to, to give you the opportunity. If it's teaching, we want you to teach. If it's serving in some way, we want you to serve. If you have the gift of administration, if you love scheduling, I would love for you to schedule things. I am horrible at scheduling things, like, completely awful at it. Like, just terribly, terrible, terrible, terrible. So I would love for you to do that. Like, I. If you have the gift like of, of being able to lead worship or to sing, if you're the talent of singing, like, Dottie would love for you to be participating in the worship. Meeting. If you think you have that gift but you really don't, that might not be the best fit. Okay, like so like maybe run that by somebody before you volunteer. So, but like we are not enough just existing. Okay, like and if we're just existing, we are disobeying our head, Jesus Christ. And um, that should break our hearts. So we, we should never want to disappoint him. So I am. Um, somebody's about to fall asleep because we're running up on time. Don't fall out a window, please. Don't fall out a window. Maybe God will bring you back, but I, don't, I can't guarantee that. So, um, I, uh, so. Um, and he is first born among the dead, Paul said. I, I can't get into all this just so much. But um, And then in verse 19, this is an important one. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell. All of God is in Jesus. Jesus is not like part of God. Like this is like, we can't possibly wrap our heads around this because God is distinct in three persons, but still all of them is in Jesus, which also means, by the way, that if all of God is in Jesus, all of God is in the Father, all of God is in the Holy Spirit. And where does the Holy Spirit live? In us. Wrap your minds around that. All of God somehow is in you, is in us as the body. I, I, I don't know how to get into that even more. Um, so... Um, Verses 21 and 22, I, I, we'll, we'll try to close out there. He um, says this. He says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Just think about this. Without blemish, And free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul is saying, you've been hearing a lot of things about Jesus and who he is and and what he has done but what I have just said, this is the true gospel. This is the good news. And he sums it up there by saying these words that you were once alienated because you were enemies of God. You were not just like marginally good. You were completely evil because of your sin. But through Jesus, you've been reconciled From, from by his death into life so that now when God sees you, what he he sees is not your sin, but he sees you as holy, he says, without blemish and free from accusation. When you get before God, it's he he's not gonna accuse you of all these sins because you have been washed in the blood of Christ. You are now clothed in Christ and and and, and he sees you as perfect, like and and clean. That's remarkable. We can't do that on our own. Only Christ does that does that for us and, and, and because of that, there's no accusation that will come to you and, and I think by extension what we can say is like this, this should give us great security. I know some of our youth have brought this up but like people say things about us and make accusations about us and about who we used to be from time to time or who we sometimes stumble into and, and the beauty of this is if God's not going to accuse you what men accuse you of matters not. We find our value in Christ, our identity needs to be in Christ. and if it's in Christ, he does not accuse us so it doesn't matter what other people say. It may hurt. We got to recognize it. it may hurt when other people say things. I get that. but it, it doesn't matter. Like it, it doesn't hold weight. And that's a beautiful thing. But he says this. This is what really got me when I went through this. Um, So often we treat our salvation as a one-time kind of thing that happens and then it's done. Paul says that's not right. In verse 23, he continues that thought. He says, this is the gospel. If, that if, you continue in your faith, established and firmed, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. It's not enough to just have believed in the past, and gotten your stamp, and then move on and act however you want—we must continue in the faith. It's it's an active thing, and um, that's really important to get because I grew up in a church. I think many of us grew up in churches. Um, really just cared about that one time experience that you have with Christ about getting you dunked in the water it's behind the screen there but like getting you dunked in the baptistry and then you're set not to worry about things anymore that's not the gospel the gospel is something that continually affects your life and um, that you continue to live in and it you are now equipped by the Holy Spirit to strive to please God more and more every day as you grow in your what we call your sanctification, um, and that's really important to be clear about. That is really, really, really important to be clear about. So, um, close here. Um, Paul opens this section in verse 15. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then he concludes with those verses we just read in 21 to 23, where he says, once you were alienated from God, enemies, but now he's reconciled you to Christ through his body um, and to present you holy in a sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established uh, and the hope held out with the gospel. This is the gospel that you've heard and proclaimed every creature under heaven which I am Paul and become a servant. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, meaning he is the representation of God. And when we see Jesus, we see God. When we hear Jesus, we hear God. What Jesus does, God does. The character that Jesus has is the character that God has. And then he ends by saying that through faith in the gospel in Jesus, we are reconciled to God. We are made right with God. And Paul put it this way in Romans 8.29. He said, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. Get this. "...to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters." Jesus is the image of God, and we are told in Romans that when we are reconciled to God, we now bear the image of Christ. So what does that mean? Well, somehow, in Christ, when we are reconciled through his death, it's nothing that we do through him we individually but even more so when united together are the likeness of God to this world let that sink in for a moment we are the image of God to the world that's like a incredibly powerful thing and incredibly sobering thing the world sees of us is what they see of God they see a this is why I keep going back to the fact like what has been just can't be enough like because if it if it and and it's um it's it's not that, I don't mean to like beat us up, saying, like, oh, we were just so horrible Christians. Like, It's just like we're on this journey of progression. It, it never ends. Like, we have to continue to grow and, and, and build. Like, we can't stay who we we were or are. Like, Because we are bearing God's image. What the world sees of us is what they know of him. And... <laughs> And he somehow miraculously helps them to see something better than we usually are, which is great and wonderful. But like the the flip side is also true: when we get things out of whack, when our life becomes about us instead of about him, we break that image, and the world gets a very poor picture of who our God is. And that just can't be enough in any way, in any shape, or any form. We have to be ruthless. Ruthless about rooting sin out of our life, about becoming more like Christ. We can't settle for anything less than what we should be. And, um, so, I, um, I get really excited about that because I think that could be looked at as a really negative thing, a really dismal thing, um, uh, a really defeat. If we have a defeatist mindset, a really you know sad thing. um, Well, I'm never going to get to be Jesus. Like, so why? I don't even need to try, you know, or whatever. Um, Or I try so hard and I can't. Like, through the power of the Holy Spirit and in the context of the body of Christ, we can become things that we can't become on our own. This is why community groups and going out for a cup of coffee or um, having somebody over for dinner, um, or being part of a men's breakfast or a women's activity is like so important. <laughs> because like it is through the body that we become more of who God desires for us to be. Not what ends up happening is when we isolate ourselves, we become less. Sin loves darkness. Righteousness necessitates us being in the light. So um, I guess I guess that's where where we'll leave it. I, I I um who is Jesus to you? I mean Is he this being that Paul describes in First Corinthians one, fifteen to twenty three? Because if so, like what is cannot be enough. Like, we have to push each other harder and further um, in love, but we, we can't, we can never settle. Or is he what what maybe the Pharisees made him out to be, or these false teachers in, in, in Colossae made him out to be, something something else, and or, or what our world tells us he is, just this good teacher, this prophet, wasn't really God. If that's the case, then... You know, um, well, I'm just going to say I hope it's not the case for you. If it is the case that he is everything, that he is supreme, that he is this, this God that Paul describes here in Colossians 1, then let's get on it, folks. Let's, let's love being in relation with each other, let's love challenging each other. Let's love spurring one another on towards uh, good. These good deeds that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Let, let's let's not grow weary in doing good. Let's let's give sacrificially. Let let's let's be everything we can be through the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of the body, with Jesus being our head, so that when people see us, they see Christ. So that men and women and children who God is calling be able to come and find him through us will you pray with me father um, we uh, we thank you today for your word sometimes it's really hard to wrap our minds around it like how Jesus created like in him and through him and by him and like um, and it's okay I think that sometimes like studying your word is a bit like drinking out of a fire hydrant we don't get it all the first pass and and that's okay I think you're you're okay with that. I think what you're really after is is hearts that desire to know you more in any incremental fashion that can be had. And so, Lord, today we just would humbly ask in in Jesus' name that as a result of studying your word this morning, of looking at the book of Colossians, that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, will have equipped us to know you a bit better. And um, just because when we get to know you better, we fall more in love with you and we are better positioned to serve you, to glorify you, to worship you with the entirety of our lives. So we pray that that would happen this week, that, Father, you would get more glory through us this week than you did last week because of us growing closer to you through our time together. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.